Happy Sabbath, church. Andrew, if you could show that picture I asked you to put on the computer, I'd appreciate it. This picture is a screenshot of a man, a man uh, named Glenn Pyatt, I think its name is pronounced. I got into a Twitter, well, formerly known as Twitter, an ex-conversation with him. And he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in the battle between good and evil. He doesn't believe in Christianity. He doesn't believe at all. I think he is an atheist or, or at the very least an agnostic. But we got into a conversation and we went back and forth over the Thanksgiving weekend. But he at least conceded, not conceded, he at least agreed to pray to God as, as if God was real for 30 days. Today is day 29. And so I would love for you to either screenshot it, take a picture, remember the name, and pray for him for the next 30 days. That God would reveal himself to him so that he can come into a faith-saving relationship with the Lord and Savior that you and I adore and worship. I've shared with him a couple of sermons, a couple of, a friend of mine shared with him a couple of YouTube about the evidence for the resurrection, which if you come during our apologetics teachings on Wednesday, we're going to talk about, at some point, about those evidence for the resurrection that are outside of Scripture. So it's not just Scripture that testifies that He is risen. And we'll talk about it a little bit in today's message. So pray for Him, because at least He's willing to try prayer for 30 days, and as I said, He's on day 29. We just celebrated Thanksgiving this past Thursday. I ate so much for lunch that I did not eat dinner. I had a cookie, and it was just uh, pure gluttony. The food was good, though. The cookies were good. Our tofurkey was good. But the holidays, I have to admit, admit, are a mixed bag for many. It is for me. You know, 50 years ago, on March 18th, my in-laws were married. They were married on March 18th. I always would remember their anniversary because a week later in Manhattan, they got married in the Waco Church where I got married. So the parents and Lurie got married in the same church. A week later, on March 25th in Manhattan, this little 22-inch butterball, 10 and a half pounds, I was born. Mind you, it was a natural birth, and my mother is only four foot eleven. That's why I'm the shortest of all my cousins. But I was ten and a half pounds. A week later, I was born. And you, you have to. I think, at least I think, of all the the things God had to manipulate, or God had to endure, or God had to guide my life and Larie's life for a New York City boy and a country Texas girl to meet many years later and get married. And so at the Thanksgiving table, when I first joined the family, it was Uncle Weldon, who's still alive, our friend of the family, Mo, Dr. Mo. There was Grandma uh, Linda Lee. No, sorry, Mary Lee. Too many Lees in the family. Mary Lee and Cousin Billy and myself, I was the only outsider. Her brother was in California, and so that Thanksgiving. But as the years went by, you can imagine that the table has changed. 
when Mary Lee passed uh, the second Thanksgiving we were married, and so that was no longer a chair occupied. Then the fast forward the years, so cousin Billy has passed, my mother-in-law has passed, and those three individuals no longer share that Thanksgiving table that we just shared this Thursday, but replacing those three are my three monkeys, Hannah, Leah, and Emma. Right? And so the table changes, and so I understand that feeling that the holidays aren't always full of joy or full 100%, even though I enjoy this holiday, even though I love the time I spent, in the back of my mind is my father who passed away five years ago. And as we call my mother-in-law the Moodle, because she was always in all our business, and we miss the Moodle. And so Thanksgiving is a mixed bag for many, yet even in the sadness, the holidays of the holidays, there are still things that we could be thankful for, even when things don't go our way. Today I want to share with you a few stories from the Bible where the characters and their stories can be thankful for what took place, even if all of it wasn't good. In essence, the bottom line for what we should be thankful for is that we are still, regardless of the good and the bad, in the will of God and that He whether it's good or bad, whether it's happy or sad, whether there's pleasure or pain, whether there's life or death, all I want to do, all I want to be, is be in the will of God. And for that, I am thankful. The first thing we should be thankful for during the Thanksgiving season and all our lives is for the love of God. For God's love. He doesn't have to love us. Think about it. He could have destroyed all of creation, all of the angels, the devil, everybody, just left it down to just him, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Nobody would have ever known what he had done, and he could have restarted this whole creation business. No Lucifer, no Adam and Eve sinning, no pain, no suffering, nothing. He could have started all over. He didn't have to love us. He didn't have to come. He didn't have to die, but he chose because he loves you. He loves me. He gave his life for me. If he didn't love us, we'd all be dead already. Even if you don't believe in him, he still loves you. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that while we were still helpless, while we were still sinners, while we were even yet enemies, God died for you and he loves you. He died to prove it. And the Bible tells us that no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. And so I'm thankful for the love of God that's changed my life. From sinner to saint, from gossiper to gospel preacher, from unfaithful to a faithful husband, God, love has transformed our lives. And for that, I'm thankful for answered prayer. I could talk about prayers that God has answered in my life, but instead I want to point to prayers in the Bible that we can perhaps relate to that have been answered similarly in our lives. Hannah, from the Bible, the book of Samuel, was desperate to have a child. She poured her heart out to God, and God answered her prayer, and Samuel was born. 
She wanted something so desperately that she knew nothing other than to go to the temple of God, to be as close to the Shekinah glory as possible, to be as close as possible to God, to pray to the only individual who could grant her her wish, who could bring life from nothing, who can bring life from a barren womb. And I pray. She wanted desperately this son. She grabbed her husband and said, give me a child or I, or I die. And she didn't want him selfishly. She said, if, I, if you grant me this child, I will give him back. I will dedicate him back to your service, to your ministry. And Hannah's prayer was answered. It was granted. Then I'm grateful for Daniel's prayer that was answered in Daniel chapter 2. God revealing to Daniel Nebuchadnezzar's dream spared Daniel and the others' life. They would have been killed had the dream not been interpreted. And it gives us a foundation. I'm, I'm grateful for it as a preacher because it gives me the foundation for Bible prophecy. If you understand Daniel 2, if you understand the rise and fall of kingdoms, if you understand there what God is saying, then we can know that prophecy is sure, that God will come back. The rest of the prophecies build on Daniel chapter 2. And on a side note, it lets us know that the devil cannot read your mind. Because if the devil could read minds, he would have read Nebuchadnezzar's mind, given him a false interpretation. He would have shunned Daniel. Daniel wouldn't have been part of the inner group. Nebuchadnezzar would have never been converted. And we would have no sure foundation of prophecy. And so I'm grateful for Daniel chapter 2 because all the prophecy hangs on this. And there have been times in my life when God has answered prayer that I can... Can, can stake my faith in some of those ancient prayers. I call them anchor moments where I can look back and I can see clearly the hand of God answering prayers in my life. And so I'm thankful for the answered prayer of Daniel. But I'm also thankful for prayers that weren't answered. Prayers that weren't answered, such as the one we find in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. You can turn with me there, or not, I'll just read it. It's just a short verse. We're not going to belabor the point. But if you know the story, Elijah had just had a resounding victory over the prophets of Baal. God had demonstrated to Israel that God is God. Remember, Elijah had asked the question, if God is God, then worship him. But if Baal is Baal, worship him. And it's the question you and I have to deal with all the time. If God is God, then we need to pour all our life to God. If God is not God, then do as you please. But don't be in this halfway house between God and Baal. And so he has his resounding victory. And then this harlot named Jezebel says I'm going to do to you what you did to my prophets and Elijah just runs he runs he's scared he's scared of this woman because he thinks God's victory would have softened everybody's heart and when this woman challenges him he runs away and he says the words in 1 Kings 
But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father. There is no doubt in my heart that Elijah's prayer was 100% sincere. That is how he felt at the moment that he wanted the Lord to take his life. If the ground would have opened up and swallowed him up, he would have been perfectly fine. For he had felt defeated. He had felt the Lord wasn't with him. And if the Lord would have answered that prayer, he would have been totally cool. But my God is wiser than me. Than us. For many of us have prayed prayers that had they been answered, you might be married to the wrong person. Or you might have the wrong job, or you may have gone into business with the wrong person. Because he did not answer them, because of his infinite wisdom, he spared you from that prayer request. And as I was reading this and preparing this, I remembered there was... Another story similar, Jonah chapter 4, verse 3. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better than life. Jonah, no doubt, felt 100% sincere as well. And there may have been times in our life where we have wished that we weren't around anymore, that I may be better off dead and leave the life insurance for my wife and kids than to continue to drag on in this world. But Elijah and Jonah serve a faithful God, a loving God. And in neither case did he answer their prayer. So whatever you may be praying for, whatever you may be longing for, maybe the answer is no. Maybe the best answer is no, because God in his infinite wisdom may have something better for you that may not even be given to you in this lifetime, but definitely in the life to come. My father-in-law asked the question often, and he asked it this weekend, why wasn't my wife healed? Why does he heal some and not others? And I love from the program, The Chosen, he the character of Jesus says to one of his disciples who has a disease that isn't healed, he says, look, you will be healed. My mother-in-law will be healed. My father will be healed. The character says, it's just a matter of time. It's not if he will be healed. It's not if I will see Grandma Linda or my father. It's when. It's just a matter of time. I will see them again. Both of them. And so answered prayers, I'm thankful for. Unanswered prayers, I'm thankful for. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17, beginning of verse 11. And I'm thankful for healing. Luke 17, beginning in verse 11, we know the story. While he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee, and he entered a village. Ten lepers, le ten 
leprous men who had stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God, and with a loud voice, he fell on his face, at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. In other words, an unbeliever. He gave thanks for the healing. In Matthew chapter 8, in another story of a leprous man, you think about leprosy. You were shunned from your family. Imagine you, a parent, not even able to hug your kid, to touch them, to, to be close to them because they even thought it's not only touch, it can't be too close, it might be contagious. That for 30-something plus years, you couldn't have human affection, human touch. You couldn't hug anybody. You couldn't see anybody. You were left alone to die. It was a death sentence. And if you touched somebody, you were considered unclean. And Jesus, in the story of Matthew 8, when he sees the leper, he asks, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, before he cleanses them, touches the leper. And I very touch saying, I love you. I want to heal you. I want to cleanse you. And this leper was grateful for what God had done for him. From life to then a death sentence back to life by the healing touch of Jesus Christ. So I'm thankful when people are healed, when I pray or others pray, miraculously healings that take place. But I'm also thankful for when God doesn't heal. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Just one verse. You know the story. The Apostle Paul, a great man of the Lord, written 13 plus books of the Bible. He's a PhD in theology. He is, gives us great books like the book of Romans, Galatians, that explain the gospel, how we're saved. This man had a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed not once, not twice, but three times, and perhaps even more. The emphasis on three is just showing that he was persistent. He prays three times, three times, Lord, I can do so much more for the kingdom in view with the speculation is that he was growing blind. And, the, and Lord, I can do so much more for the kingdom if you would just heal me, if you would just take care of my blindness. And the Lord says in verse 8, I got the wrong word. Nine, thank you. Yeah, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that he might leave me. That it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. But if he doesn't leave it there. Even though that is wonderful, he doesn't leave it. He says, For power. What Paul wanted. He was praying, Lord, I could be more powerful if I wasn't black. God says, No, no, no. For my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. What? Paul finally grasped 
what the Lord is saying most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Are you willing to boast about your weakness? Where you fall short, but God continuously delivers you from whatever it is that people may recognize is a weakness in you, but that you turn that weakness by the grace of God into a testimony. My wife told my father-in-law, perhaps he allowed Grandma Linda to pass because he knew her faith would not waver. And Uncle Weldon, who isn't in the faith, it may have planted a seed in him. We don't know the end from the beginning. We don't know why he let suffering take place. But we know from church history that the blood of the saints has always been what? The seed of the church. Or something like that. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the saints. We don't know why God doesn't answer, but we will know one day why a healthy man like my father all of a sudden gets Alzheimer's disease and is death. Why a woman who took care of herself gets a rare disease and then dies. I'm thankful for healings that aren't answered because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's best. And my and his grace is sufficient for me. In all these cases, the individuals prayed were or were not healed. They trusted and were thankful to be in the will of God. I'm thankful for the honesty of Scripture. Been listening to different podcasts and different YouTube channels and, and, and reading different things. In the scholarly world, there's this principle called the, the principle of embarrassment. Right, that they vouch for the veracity of the story being told because they share something embarrassing that no well-respected author would write if it weren't true. Or you and I, right, sometimes we tell stories that are embarrassing and they're funny because they're true, not because we made them up. And so I am grateful for the honesty of Scripture. The characters in there are not perfect, they're flawed. You look at David, a man after God's own heart was a murderer, was an adulterer, a liar. But I can identify with that because I have been short of the glory of God in my life. Abraham, the father of faith, Multiple times showed lack of faith in lying about his sister, not once but twice. The Bible is full of characters, even a nation that is flawed, yet God says these are my people, my, my beloved. As flawed as they are, as, as, as incompetent as they come across sometimes, the disciples were a hot mess. 
Nobody telling a story or writing a story is going to write especially about a Savior who's crucified. <laughs> so I'm thankful for the honesty of Scripture. And if you ever played sports, soccer, football, baseball, if you're a hitter, you never tell your opponent what the weak link in your defense is. Right? You do everything you can to hide what the weak link in your defense is so they won't exploit, exploit it. Right? No football team, no soccer team tells them, hey, look, our, our gunner or whatever they call it in soccer or our left tackle is the weakest guy in our team. Blitz him and you'll do well against our team. No team ever does that. You turn your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 16. The Bible does exactly that. The Bible says, look, if you want to prove us wrong, don't go to Genesis, don't go to Revelation, don't go to prophecy, don't go to Daniel, don't go to the crucifixion. If you want to prove us wrong, if you want to knock the whole card, the whole house of card down, if you want to destroy Christianity, if you want to do away with Christianity, you don't have to tackle all these other books. I will tell you what the weak link in Christianity is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16. For the dead are not raised. Not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, my mother-in-law, my father, in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. So the Bible says, look, here's the weak link. If you can furnish the body of Christ, if you can bring the body of Christ, if you can prove that he isn't risen, then all of it doesn't matter. All of it falls. All of it is worthless. Your faith, you're still in your sins. You're going to die. Nothing is worth it. Genesis, who cares about creation? Who cares about the crucifixion? Who cares about the second coming? If you can prove that he did not raise from the grave, then it's all a shame. And the Bible's honest with Because it has sent men and women smarter than any of us into a rapid chase trying to disprove the resurrection. And every time they study it, the deeper they go, the emptier the tomb is. Well, he's risen. The tomb is empty. That's the missing link. If you can prove, you can demonstrate his body, then it all falls. But we'll learn in the apologetics class starting in January that there is evidence even outside of Scripture that he is risen. We serve a risen Savior. Because he lives. I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I will see my father again. Because he lives, I get my hair back. I'll see my mother-in-law. 
No team will give you the missing link, the weak link. The Bible says, look, this is it. You can prove this. And I want to close with this. There's one final prayer. I'm glad it wasn't answered. Because it was prayed in 100% sincerity. It was prayed with holiness. It was prayed from a sinless person. He said, Father, if it's possible, Let this cup pass me by. Three times he prayed that prayer. Not because he didn't want to save you and me, but he knew the pain of the cross. He knew and he felt that he was going to be separated from his father forever. And he wanted to find out, turn every stone, to find out, is there any other way I can save them by not going through the cross? And the divine answer came back. No. Jesus said yes. I will drink this cup. I will pay the price. I will bear their sins. And Father, I will say goodbye. And I'm thankful for that. That Black Friday... When all seemed lost and his blood ran red, it's a foundation as to why I am thankful for my God. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because the tomb is empty, death will be conquered. I am thankful for him, for his work, for answered and unanswered prayers, for healings and not healings. I am thankful because he loves me. See, the Bible is a story, a love story between you and God. No one else. It's between you and God. And he's trying to woo you into a faith-saving relationship with him. As I was telling Glenn, we're all headed towards the precipice. It's not that we have an option of eternal life without him. We're, the default is we're going to die. He invites us to live forever. Are you sick? Are you dying? In Christ, you will be healed. It's just a matter of time. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that your word tells us what's happening in this world. We don't have to fear the future, but you have led us in the past and you continue to lead us today. Father, may we be thankful for that black fire every day of our lives. And may we be thankful that the tomb is empty.
In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanksgiving to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. For without, we can't do anything. But we thank you that you gave the ultimate gift, which was your Son for us. Father, I pray for Glenn and for all those in the Valley of Decision who are struggling to find a faith-saving relationship with you. Reveal yourself to him, to us daily, that we may leave this place of worship grateful and thankful in our hearts that we worship and serve a risen King. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.